Welcome to Songwriter Trists, an intimate podcast that interviews artists about the art of songwriting and find out more about the life behind the songs. I'm singer-songwriter Ray Lee, your host for this show. Music saved my life and I want to talk to other songwriters about the power of songwriting, talk about their journey and how they got to where they are today. This is a safe space to share stories, lessons and emotions, all the great things that build an amazing song. For more information on this podcast and the guests, visit songwritertrists.com. Another songwriter tryst with Kevin Welch. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> and you've done uh, quite a bit. I think I saw your first album. Was that 1999 or do we go back earlier than that? Yeah, um, I think it was more like 90. I made a. Oh. <clears throat> excuse me. I made a couple of records for uh, Warner Brothers, Warner Reprise. Yeah. Uh, before um, breaking off and forming our own record label, Dead Reckoning oh, wow. Records. Nice. Well, well, we'll get to that, I reckon, because um, I'm sure it'll be very interesting to hear about what you've um, been doing. But to start with, I like to get the artist, which is you in this case, in your own words to tell us who are you and where do you come from? Uh, boy, I'll try to keep this short. I'm an old guy, so... <laughs> It's, it's not easy to keep it short. It's a long story. <laughs> well, it's a podcast, basically, you know, there's no real time limit. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, right. Well, basically, um, I, you know, I, I came up uh, in Oklahoma, um, just down the road from where Woody Guthrie came from, actually, and um, mm. just, you know, playing in bands and so forth. Uh, you know, growing up, it was kind of my high school job, <clears throat> um, mm. and then I began touring around the uh that part of the united states kind of between arizona and louisiana uh for a few years and then uh moved to nashville in my early 20s um mm-hmm. and began um trying to learn how to write songs writing for a big uh publishing company there called tree international at the time mm-hmm and um, I was just kind of down in those uh, staff writer trenches for like 15, 16 years, something like that. Wow. That's a lot of songwriting. Yeah, a lot of practice, <laughs> you know. A lot of, yeah. um, a few good songs, a lot of real mediocre ones. Um, yeah. Just, uh, you know, just learning how to do it. I search the skyline every morning until I see I guess I've been I guess I've been writing there for about ten years before mm. I actually started making my own uh, records. Wow. It was during uh, what my friend Steve Earle always called the uh, credibility scare. Where there mm. for about fifteen minutes, there was some uh, you know really kind of alternative stuff just for a minute uh, coming out mm. of Nashville, and so I went ahead and got involved. With that, um, the, I was with, uh, as I said, Warner Brothers, and they were a they were a very musical company in those days. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of really good people there. I made a couple records, but they really needed me to have uh, hits on country radio, and that just really I wasn't sort of cut out for that. I have just been kind of following my own groove ever since I left them. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I, I should just say I was actually in Nashville for 30 years. So the last wow. half of my stay there was uh, just kind of operating uh, as an indie artist. And occasionally people would still record my songs. That, that even still happens sometimes. Thank mm. God. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing now? Where are you now? So I'm in New South Wales. I'm married uh my uh Australian sweetheart Sarah a mm-hmm. few years ago and uh and then we had a little baby boy and um mm-hmm. we were kind of, you know, going back and forth between the our place in uh, Texas. Yeah, I moved to, I left Nashville I think 12 years ago and moved mm-hmm. down to the hill country in Texas. Still have a home there. And we were just kind of ping-ponging back and forth. and But then, of course, this year happened. And yeah. uh, I kind of got trapped in the United States for six months of this year without being able to get over here to be oh, re- really? reunited with yeah with Sarah and uh, mm. little Sharp Tooth. We, we call him Sharky. Um, <laughs> but I was finally able to, uh, to get back. And uh, so uh, we live in uh, New South Wales, down south of... Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, I spend my time here. I teach songwriting. I do like zoom one-on-one songwriting lessons with people all over the mm-hmm. planet. And, uh, mostly just cause I really like talking about songs. I'm to this day, I'm so <laughs> fascinated by why uh, these things can hold so much. Me too. Maybe you should co-host the podcast with me. <laughs> That's all I'm doing now. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, just yeah. just talking about songs and and what what gets people into it. So mm-hmm. my my next question is, when did you write your first song? Do you remember that story? No, I don't really remember what my first song was, but I started messing around with. Um, I just wanted to be a guitar player when I was in, you know, my my teen years, my early teen years. All I did was just yeah. practice, practice, practice guitar and. Um, mm-hmm. But somewhere along in there, I really started, I loved to read. I was a pretty literate kid. And uh, somewhere along in there, those two things began to kind of merge. And I started paying much closer attention to the songs. And as I said, I, you know, I, 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 I did grow up just up the road from Woody uh, Guthrie. And I remember, I think I might have been 14 or 15. In one summer, I discovered uh, Kerouac and Woody Guthrie, and it would just hit me, hit me pretty hard. And uh, I began just kind of studying songs, and I really liked yeah. um, like old Appalachian stuff and uh, the blues, and I like pop music mm-hmm. too and rock and roll. And when I went to Nashville, I was not um, an accomplished songwriter. And I was especially mm. not an accomplished uh, country songwriter. Yeah. Um, I liked country music, but I liked that older stuff better. I liked what mm. Willie was doing at the time. And, well, I, st- I still like what Willie does, but um, I liked that stuff quite a bit. But commercial country music uh, just didn't make any sense to me. And also, you know, country music back in those days was really, it was kind of for grown-ups in a weird way. And, <laughs> I was, uh, I think I was too young to appreciate some of the stuff that they were talking about. So was there a clear moment when you went from, you know, just enjoying the guitar and playing in your room to saying, uh, okay, I want to be a songwriter. This is something that I want to do with my life. Well, in a way there was, because, um, as I said, I, you know, I hit the road, me and my buddy Pat long and uh and and a band that we had called blue rose cafe back in oklahoma and we were a popular uh, band in that neck of the woods uh Mm. but we did nothing but just pound the highway always and i'd go you know Mm. long stretches where i wouldn't even bother to have a home because i was never i was never not in motion and uh i think i just saw the opportunity to maybe stop the wheels from turning, but still keep making music. Um, Mm. And it was a frightening thing when I, you know, when I first showed up there, 
uh, Pat and I, when we first showed up there, we were right in the middle of a bunch of um, legendary uh, older riders um, mm-hmm. who had, you know, written some of, you know, the, you know, the most classic, most kind of cornerstone uh, country music um, of, of our generation and the generations before. And so mm-hmm. it was, but they were really kind to us, fortunately, because otherwise it was incredibly intimidating. Mm-hmm. But they yeah. were uh, very welcoming to uh, young songwriters back in those days. I think they still are. I mean, mm. I've only been to Nashville the once, but I think it's, it is intimidating until you meet the people and you start working and everyone's there with the common goal of just writing the next great song. That's really true. And when somebody um, writes a great song, everybody celebrates that because it yeah. really is a, it really is more about the song than it is about the writer. Mm. Um, and that's, uh, I'm glad to hear you say that and that that's been your experience. Cause that was always my experience too. Even though mm. you were in a way in competition with these people and perhaps you would have a song that was sort of scheduled to be on somebody's upcoming record. A friend mm. of yours down the, down the street might come up with a song that they liked better and at the last minute their song would bump yours and yeah. that would really it would hurt you know but mm-hmm. not in a there was no animosity as long as it was a no. good song that bumped yours out if it was a crappy song <laughs> yeah. then then that was you know that was a you might take it personally <laughs> yeah yeah right yeah <laughs> Yeah, there was yeah. never, it, it was, I, I never saw any kind of backbiting or, uh, so I think the session musician guys had to be a little bit more sort of actively competitive just to keep their gigs. Cause that's also a really hard, that's a hard way to, uh, make a living as well. But in the songwriter mm. community, everybody was just happy if somebody came up with a good song. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sort of, um, team spirit orientated and everyone's on the same side and, mm. um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And every now and then, you know, there'll be something little. But, yeah, it's everyone wants the same thing. We all just want that magic moment. <laughs> yeah. And whether we create it or whether someone else does, it's like if someone else does, it just drives us to want to be better, doesn't it? And it lifts yeah. everyone up. Do you have like a main hope for your music? Because you said you did a few albums with Warner Brothers and you broke away from them and you're going with the flow now. Do you have like a message or a core hope in your music when you release it, what it might do in the world or what listeners might connect to? No, I, I can't say that I do. Um, and I don't know, that might seem like a funny answer, but, you know, my goal is just to get as close to representing um, real real life, I guess, even if I'm writing in a sort of, you know, maybe parable form or, you know, there's nothing truer than um, than an accurate metaphor. So you might mm-hmm. not actually be, you know, talking about a um, an autobiographical story or something. And yet it's still uh, self-expression mm-hmm. of the of the deepest kind when you're doing it right. And so mm-hmm. I just want to be reflective of how it feels to be in the world, I guess. I, I don't I don't mean to sound all, you know, spacey and, you know, hippy dippy about this, but it's just I just wanna get it I just want to get it as true as I can. I think people I love that. Yeah, I think people sort of subconsciously I think that we detect the truth when we hear it. Mm. And um and that's what gets our attention. And you know what I think that is, as I'm, as I'm, I might as well just keep on with this for a second. But like I've yeah. noticed in times when I've particularly Van Gogh paintings, like the, every time I get a chance, I, I get up, you know, six or eight inches away from a Van Gogh and just plug in and you are Right there with him, there's something unbelievably powerful about that experience. And Mm -hmm. so I believe that that's what happens in art 
is that yeah. we just sort of touch another human being for a second. It might only be just a split second, but it's like mm-hmm. evidence of life in the universe. You know, you're just, just for yeah. that second, you're not alone. And this is even if you're surrounded by friends and family all the time, there's still yeah. something uh, deeper, I guess, or more connective about art when it works. Whew, that's a, that's a strong thing. You know, when I'm playing, um, and, and I haven't played any gigs all year long, like like everybody else, mm. but if I try to actually look at people, as long as the stage lights haven't blacked everybody out, if I can see people, I I look at people when I'm singing because I'm trying to, I think of it like I'm trying to give them this song, trying to hand it mm. to them. And when I see the look in, in uh, on somebody's face and I realize that they're in there with me, uh, yeah, it, it sometimes it'll it'll choke me up for a, for a second, and I have to really watch it because my throat muscles will kind of constrict with it too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's and it's because I really do feel like what it is that I'm trying to do is actually uh, happening. Yeah, connecting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. I love getting in and amongst the crowd if I can, if I've got a cordless mic and just, yeah, making them a part of the show, a part of the music and a part of what we're talking about, what we're singing about. Yeah. I'm sworn to independence. My heart is made of stone. But you're breaking on through. Oh, there's something about you. I've been tapping my toe to the way you talk I've been singing along when I watch the way you walk Baby, I got to do mm, something about you Well, I got this place of mine, it's nice and quiet and I like it fine I work real hard, got no time for you But I've whiskeyed up my coffee cup I'm sitting here trying not to call you up And it's getting to where I don't know what to do oh, there's something about you Being in Nashville, um, have you done, you've done a ton of co-writing is there something that you said you do coaching? Is there something that you always coach other people to do or something you always do before a co-write or during a co-write that you recommend? Mm, co-writing is so tricky. And by by that, I, I don't mean that it's, you know, not a good thing to do potentially. It's just that my own experience with co-writing, and you're right, I've done a lot of it. They almost expect you to, to co-write in Nashville. and um, Yeah. I, I'll just go ahead and say I'm a firm believer that we we all need to keep writing songs by ourselves. Um, in addition to co-writing, uh, sometimes with with other people. Um, and I've seen this happen so many times where like really evolved, really skilled, successful songwriters become dependent on their co-writers. When, you know, you're, you know how hard it is to write a song sometimes and you just get so jammed up. And if you're used to being able to turn to somebody else to spring you, it's real easy to slip into that habit. And Mm -hmm. instead of sticking with it and hanging with it and, you know, putting the song down and walking away and coming back later and taking another look Mm -hmm. at it and so forth. Instead, you just call up, you know, Bob or Jim or, you Mm -hmm. know, Sally or whoever say, yeah, I've got this thing. I'm a little stuck on. You want to, you want to get in on it. And now sometimes that's going to really help the song. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it can kind of double the value of the song, but sometimes it can also cut it in half. The Mm -hmm. idea can become, uh, you know, diluted uh, in that way. And I had a weird experience. Um, well, anyway, for many, many years, because I saw this happen to so many of my colleagues, I really diligently tried to still write by myself quite a bit. And yeah. uh, 
in fact, the last record I just put out, uh, which was called Dust Devil, I was just kind of looking over the cover art, and I realized kind of to my surprise that I didn't co-write anything at all on that record. I did do two, wow. I did yeah. two songs that I didn't write that were written by friends of mine, but yeah, um, but I didn't think about that as I was, you know, just selecting the songs or making the record. It, I I just didn't even notice that until the record was done. But mm-hmm. anyway, that here's what I here's what I've noticed or what I learned. I guess it was maybe last year. Um, Chris Stapleton had a song of mine. Um, that actually was on the, you know, Billboard country charts. It did really, really well. Okay, which um, one was that? It's called Millionaire. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. You know, much, much to my surprise, I never thought I'd have a, <laughs> uh, an, another thing on the Billboard country charts or any any charts, really, necessarily. But, mm. but anyway, um, I noticed that I was the only writer, apparently, in the hot 100 or whatever they call that, that that was the only song that was solo written. And not only that, but most of the songs on the chart were written by just a small handful of people. And most of those songs had anywhere from four to six writers on it. Yeah. This is something, you know, you're probably a lot more aware of, the realities of that than I am just because I've been so unplugged from Nashville for so many years now. I had heard mm. about that, but I don't, I don't actually understand it. You know, how it could possibly take six people to write a song and in what way yeah. that, you know, how is that going to actually benefit a song? Somebody said, well, there's one guy that uh, he's where everybody goes to get their pre-chorus uh, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, just stuff like that. I, you know? I get overwhelmed by it, yeah. yeah. Too, too many people in the room can be overwhelming. It's. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily um, the number of people in the co-write with, with these things. It's changed where, you know, there might be a minimum of three people in the room when they write the initial song, but these days the producer and then the drummer or the pianist or instead of just being someone who works on the production, they then become a part of the songwriter because there is so much of the production that can sometimes impact the song. They then get songwriting cuts. So everyone wants a cut. (laughs) And so that's how I think you end up with what Mm. might have just been a a three-person co-write and ending up as a six or 12-person written Mm. song because, yeah, everyone's getting a little cut for their for their creative input to the song and the production of the song. That's um, interesting. And that's kind yeah. of become common practice in a lot of places. Mm. And I think that's that's where we're seeing such a huge mm. jump in the number of co-writers on, 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 a, on, a, on a hit song, you know. Um, well, I'll yeah. tell you this. I mean, on, um, on my records, there are a lot of songs on there that wouldn't sound nearly as cool if it weren't for the arrangement ideas that the band um you know brought and you know yeah yeah. and really kind of transform just some little song into something Mm -hmm. you know something much uh, larger and it i have felt before like damn that was such a good idea you know i had to give him a piece of the piece of the writing or a slice of publishing or something um, yeah. So that's interesting. Um, I don't know. You know, I guess I feel uh, that if that is going to enhance a song, then great. I'm I'm a little dubious, uh, to tell you the truth, that that's uh, going to help very often. Um, <laughs> but I, I get it. You know, the whole 360 thing, labels now, they all have, you know, publishing and yeah. I guess it might be an extension of that sort of swarm hive mentality that's happening. Yeah. Just, it came about, I guess, for survival purposes there for a while. You, you've been pretty consistent with releasing music um, over the year. What's been your favorite album or tour or just song that you've you've written? Oh, God, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, 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 I really don't know. Um, there have been some... Uh, 
you know, particular kind of musical adventures that um, I'm especially fond of uh, recalling. We, when we made that, when we got together the uh, Dead Reckoning Records label, that was just like a sort of consortium of mostly people who had been in my band um, while they were also in, you know, had their own bands and they were making their own records. And, um, but I just loved playing with these guys so much that when we made that label, it was in order to uh, support each other. And sort of the agreement was, well, you know, we'll just play on each other's records. We'll keep our costs down. We didn't have any outside money or yeah. investors or anything. And mm-hmm. um, and go on the road as a as one large band. Fortunately, one of the artists mm-hmm. and co uh, um, um, owners, I suppose you would say, was uh, Harry Stinson. This, you know, was a fantastic drummer, and you know one of the A-team um, harmony uh, singers in Nashville, still to this day. Um, yep. And uh, we recruited uh, this fantastic bass uh, player, Allison Prestwood, and um, and Fats Kaplan uh, joined us, who's a you know, multi-instrumentalist and you know, extraordinary player who I still play with. Um, so uh, we had this. It was Kieran Kane, Mike Henderson, uh, in addition, and actually Kieran was the guy who came up with the idea to begin with. So we had this big yeah. band, and we would go on the road, and we traveled all over the world, and it was kind of a festival band, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. it was just one of the most. I was, uh, I was pretty consistently the worst guy on stage, which I think is an enviable, <laughs> enviable position. You always want to be surrounded by people better than you, you know. Do yeah. And then uh, there, there was a time when just Kieran Fats and I, uh, we developed a interesting way to record. Um, you know, we've always recorded live in the studio. I'm terrible at overdubbing vocals, so I just always have, yeah. you know, gone with my scratch vocals on all my records and. We took that a step farther um, and made three records real super fast. Each record took three days from start to finish. I mean, from pre-production wow. to finishing the mix. Boom. You know, they were done. And we just we sit around in a tight. Did you sleep? Hmm? You know? Did you sleep? Oh, yeah. We're also, <laughs> we're also lazy. I mean, we wouldn't, like, even stay up late. You know, it's just we just sit in a tight circle, sometimes not even needing headphones and we had a couple of engineers that we sort of um inherited straight out of university so we were able to well we always said we raised these guys from eggs wow. and we were able to work out a cool way of recording live and there was so much bleed in all the microphones that it almost had that sort of surround sound sound to it okay that was really lovely, and and, uh, and we played together like that for several years. That was a blast. I played with my son, Dustin, in the same way for uh, several years, where we just sit down and we back each other up and swap songs, Dustin Welch. Mm. And occasionally we'd recruit um, my daughter, Savannah, who would join us. She's actually an actress, but she's also a musician. And so those oh. were uh, those were good days. and. And anyway, now I think just like everybody else, we're all just, uh, uh, you know, our, my calluses are just about gone. And I've got to start uh, getting ready because at some point we're all going to start playing again. Yeah, they do start to fall off, especially if you're um, going swimming or getting out much and, mm-hmm. yeah, stop playing. Are you gigging? <laughs> Um, I started busking during lockdown, actually. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely a way to keep the calluses on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I'd play for four hours straight um, in a day. I've just done a, a four-hour stint at a shopping centre in Gold Coast this morning, actually. Yeah, that'll do it, um, man. That'll do it. But <laughs> it do, it's doing it. Um, but I, I had my first show back at Hot Out Home of the Arts. Have you ever been there in Gold Coast? I don't know. Um, 
Yeah, it, it's like the main sort of arts precinct. They've got from 180 room to 3,000 stadiums sort of for music and arts. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a beautiful venue to play at. So I played there on Friday and that was my first ticketed show ever, not just but after COVID because I'm, I'm a new artist. So okay. um, it was my first ever show. Yeah, good for you. But it was nice. so much fun. Yeah, it's really nice to be finally doing what I've been trying to do all year, <laughs> um, which, yeah. but um, That's fantastic. I don't know. It, it's a funny year though, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Did you go to um, festivals or anything like that? or This year, no, not, you, not at all. I, no? I was at, every year I am the artistic director at the Banff Center up in uh, Banff, Alberta, to do a mm-hmm. three-week uh, sort of international song I don't know what you call it. I guess it's a workshop. And um Yeah. We that's where I was this year when uh the big um curtain when the curtain kind of came down and it's, uh, it's actually how okay. I got got caught in Texas cuz I I got booted out of Canada and went back to Texas essentially just to kind of repack and yeah. just check the traps there and everything and uh, yeah. and that was that and I've just been really diligent about you know, kind of, you know, well, especially when I was in the States, I just didn't want to get out here. It's, yeah. um, I love you know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy, uh, here in New South Wales. I imagine it is up where you are now as well. Right. I've been working these bone dry fields all day. Well, she stays on my mind since she left in 86. Nothing's worked out right. She married a man with some bottom land Moved just down the road I hear he's afraid he's losing her And I'm afraid he won't yeah. uh, it's, been, it's been a transition of just changing or getting used to a new normal But I, I look at, because my partner's British And I see what's happening in the States And I see what's happening in, in Europe mm. And I think we are just so lucky in Australia. We really haven't experienced what they're experiencing at all. I keep waiting for the United States to sort of glance over here and go, oh, that's all we have to do. But but they just don't. It's uh, No, no, they're leaders. They're not followers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> man, oh man. I don't know, and they've, they've had so many distractions as well, haven't they? Because they did lock down for a while, and then the protests started happening, and then, um, and then the votes. I mean, everything kind of just. And then, I don't know. Even in the UK, I saw there was a protest about um, the lockdown in the UK, and they were saying, "No, it's just all a hoax. It's not real." Hmm. Which is which is hard, especially if you do know people who have died from COVID. It's um, yeah. For me, I find it challenging to to see people. Being so ignorant, I guess. I don't really know what... To, actually, I don't even know if that's the right word, but... Yeah. It, um, you know, we lost... It's a challenge. We lost Prine uh, earlier this year to COVID, and it was... Uh, mm. You know, he was... I loved that guy so much. We all... We all did. We all do. And then you hear somebody say that, that you were just talking about, and it is. It's kind of like getting kicked in the stomach. It's awful hard to hear somebody say yeah, that. To say it's not real or it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, it really does. Yeah, it really does. Mm, I was just going to say, you know, one interesting thing that has kind of come out of this year um, is yeah. all the remote uh, um, recording going on. Uh, just yeah. sending tracks out to your friends around the around the world and, and uh, building records in that way. I've been having a a blast uh, doing that <laughs> and it is different you know obviously than getting in a room with a, a band and uh, you know hitting the hitting the finding the, the a groove that everybody's feeling in the same way in the moment yeah. and uh feeding off each other and having those kind of musical conversations it's much different than that but yeah. it has its plus sides as well it's just kind of remarkable what you can accomplish just sitting at home with your little laptop or whatever and, uh, mm. you know, and just sending, sending files out. Um, and I kind of yeah. think that that's, that's here to stay. I'm going to, 
I'm going to just keep yeah. doing that. Um, not that I'm never going to get in the, a studio with a band again, but I've just mm-hmm. had a lot of fun this year making, I'm just kind of working on a new record. Like, I guess like everybody else is. Uh, yeah. So that's been cool. Oh my, yeah. I did five singles this year and late last year, and they were all recorded remotely with a European team. Mm. So I, you know, have my set my mini studio set up to do vocal files, and I record my files. I'd send it over, and then they'd do all the instrumentals and everything, and then they'd send it back, yeah. and I'd do my vocals, and then and then I'd send that back, and then they'd send it back fully mixed and mastered. You know, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it can be done, and it can be done really well. And it's I've actually had. I feel like I've had really, really good results that way. And I, I hadn't actually, I experienced that before I'd experienced being in the studio. You have released Dust Devil, haven't you? Is that, that's this year? Yeah, it might have been last year. I think, it, I think it was last year. Was it last year? Uh, How's that been going for you? I don't. Were you able to get any shows? In I don't really know. I mean, it, it kind of came out in a, in a, in a quiet way. <laughs> and, I just, yeah. I just sort of dribbled it out there. <laughs> I love the record, and I, I actually went back to Nashville and, and whistled up all those those old uh, uh, monsters that I had had been missing, mm-hmm. and uh, just had an extraordinary time being back there. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was really nice. We just kind of blew it out. I like the record a lot. I mean, I haven't listened to it since we finished it, really, as as one does, you know. But <laughs> I sure liked doing it. Yeah. But then, you know, I, I haven't really had an op- like everybody else. I haven't had an opportunity to, you know, tour behind it and and so mm-hmm. forth. And so it's just kind of hanging. It's just floating around out there somewhere. Now I hover between the earth and the big wide open sky. Between my birth and the day that I will die All I ever wanted was to settle on some hallowed ground I wanted to ask you what the best advice is that you've ever been given. Oh, I've, boy, I've, I've had some really good advice. Harlan Howard, um, who was kind of one of the fathers of... Uh, country songwriting uh took me under his wing when i was just a young guy and he was um he was a very dear friend and real supportive and this might sound a little funny but he said to me one day he said kid you got to remember second verse has got to be better than the first one and (laughs) yeah that is good advice. <laughs> it really is, right? I mean, the implications that kind of stem from that are a little bit maddening, but really, really true. Mm. But I've had tons of great advice over the years. My friend John Hadley, who's a painter and, and one of the best songwriters I've ever even known about, he was the first guy to tell me, like, look, man, if you can't think of what, you're, what you want to say, just describe what it is you're seeing, because you're seeing something. Mm. And, and that helped me a ton, a bunch of times that has, I think that they say that, you know, like in creative writing classes, they say, you know, show me, don't tell me. And uh, that was just John's way of saying the same thing to me. But so many times I've gotten stuck and I don't know where I'm going. And I remember that I haven't done that. I haven't introduced any cinematic, any visual or environmental or tactile elements to the song. And I'll remember that. And mm-hmm. and when I do uh, remember that, the song tends to become a lot more three-dimensional as opposed to one-dimensional. And I think mm-hmm. it's helped my songs, you know, quite a bit. Yeah, it's really good advice to start thinking in, in imagery. Or f- I think one book I've read describes it as furniture in your song, putting furniture in someone's brain of what what they should be looking at or seeing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I heard that one sometime. I think that that's nicely put. Yeah, you know, if you think of these things as, um, and I teach this, uh, you know, at some point during my little course, we'll get around to this where we begin talking about how these things can be like little one act plays or they can be, yeah. uh, you know, short films. 
if you think about it in a filmic cinematic way, you can do absolutely anything with, with song form when we, when we approach them like that. Yeah. I love it when um, you have little twists in, in a song, just like you do in a movie, you get to the end and there's like a little twist or something like that um, or a play on words that kind of, it almost makes the listener feel connected to the song or the person who wrote it, or even just, um, feel good about yourself that you've picked up on the message or the story. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, mm. I like the songs that make me feel that I'm I'm in the same as as I'm listening. Uh, I I feel like I'm either watching the movie or I'm in the movie with the singer. Mm. I like that. Mm. I like it when um, we have a song and. I feel like someone's written a song about me. Mm. You know, like I connect to it. I connect to what they're saying, and all of a sudden, it's like, "Whoa, has someone been watching me and writing music?" Like this is so creepy. But it's like I, I think those songs make me feel not alone or isolated or crazy. Like mm-hmm. if someone else is singing about that, then I'm not completely weird. That there is someone else out there that's been through the same thing I've been through, or you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes me feel connected to the wider human human race um, when I hear songs that connect to me in that in that way, and it, it's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, yeah do Do you have any advice that you give to songwriters who are just beginners or just starting out as a songwriter? Um, where do you usually start with advice for them? Yeah, that's a you know that that also can be a tricky one, particularly if it if somebody wants to know anything about uh, the business of songwriting. Um, mm. it was always uh, hard to describe to somebody what sort of steps one could take to, you know, get deeper into the business of songwriting. It was always kind of tricky yeah. because everyone sort of had their own particular paths. But some of those opportunities that we once had uh, are really not there right now. So, for instance, I'm told that out of every 100 um, um, songwriting uh, deals uh, that once uh, existed in Nashville, 80% of those are now gone. And I don't know what the current uh, statistic is. but um, So that whole kind of thriving beehive of that hum of work that used to be happening up and down 16th and 17th avenues in um in nashville yeah. has gotten it's kind of more like it, it's almost like you're driving by a lot of dent, dentist's office or something there's it feels that feels different mm-hmm. so i don't know how people go about getting song uh, uh, deals these days so the mm-hmm. only real advice that i ever got as a young writer and it used to it used to frustrate me because the old guys would always just go, oh, just keep writing, son, just keep writing. And that <laughs> used to drive me crazy. But, you know, in the end, that's the only one real concrete piece of advice. Um, and you will find your way. You just follow the songs, mm-hmm. follow the songs, um, uh, help the songs uh, come alive and, and be what they want to be. and you know, stay mm-hmm. true to that. Stay true to yourself. Write what you love. Um, um, the biggest lesson I think that I ever got was after the first couple of years of trying to write what I thought maybe they wanted me to write. I was just writing really kind of garbage. And finally, one day, I decided that I would just secretly go off by myself and write something just for my for myself. Uh, something that I liked, mm. not necessarily sing, but just something that I liked. And I did that, mm. and I was real shy about showing them this song. It was called Everyone Gets Crazy Now and Then. But I went ahead and turned it <laughs> into God. them, and about two, three days later, Roger Miller recorded that song, who was one of my songwriting, and still is one of my songwriting heroes. And it was like wow. a big giant uh lesson like you know it's okay to try to write on assignment or whatever you you know try to 
hit a target with a song or try to come up with something for somebody else to sing or eh, whatever, you know, it's any writing is good writing. Yeah. Um, but I've, I discovered that at least for myself, the only real time that I come up with anything really, uh, well, the best stuff that I'm going to come up with is going to actually come from, uh, for one, for lack of a better way of saying it, you know, it's going to come from the heart. It's going to actually be, from deep within myself. The tears that you I see You sure seem down to me Would you like to tell it to a friend I can help you if anyone can Because I understand Everyone gets crazy now and then. Mm. And that comes out when you're on your own in your bedroom being vulnerable, doesn't it? Well, isn't it easy, you know, to start trying to reach out kind of in the room and you're looking for like a, in quotes, like a a song lyric. You're looking for a lyric. You're looking for a line. You're looking for a rhyme. And... Those mm. things are floating around out there, maybe, but really the best stuff is when you stop reaching out into the room like that. Instead, you turn it back and go back inside yourself and ask yourself, well, what do I think? You know, how does this mm. look to me? Uh, how do I feel about it? And you use your own language, mm. and that's when the good stuff happens. I like that stuff, too. Are you doing... um songwriting coaching or courses in Australia or was it all overseas? It's all, no, it's all I'm, I'm doing. I'm working with some people here in Australia. I'm getting ready to start mm-hmm. with a guy in Japan. I'm working with a guy in Ireland, a gal in New Jersey, another guy in California. It's just, it's there. They, they come in like these little one hour blocks and we just sit down and, okay. and zoom it, you know? And so the biggest yeah. challenge for me is keeping track of all these time zones and not kind of screwing up the, uh, yeah. the you know, the schedules. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. If anybody wants to look at that, it's just, I think it's, um, uh, it's there on, on the uh, Kevin Welch music Facebook page. It's easy to track. Okay. Down if, I'll put the links in the description. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Oh, I'll put um, all of your links in the description of the podcast so that people can get in contact with you and if they want to do a coaching session and, um, yeah, learn a little bit from you and your wisdom, that'll be great. I have one more question for mm-hmm. you. Um, if you could co-write with anyone in the world, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Ooh. Um, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a hard question. Um, God, I don't know. There's so many. Um, I would love to sit down and and uh, write with uh, Leonard Cohen. Yeah, he's one of mine too. What's your favorite Leonard Cohen song? Well, um, I always liked uh, uh, First We Take Manhattan. I always thought he had a real gleam in his eye. I don't even know if that's really the name of that song. You know the one I mean? Then we, then we take the land. I, I actually don't know that one. It's an older song. I think it, it's from, you know, like early to mid-90s or something. But every time I hear his song, okay. uh, Hallelujah, I just imagine him mm. pulling his, you know, just blowing his brains out, trying to come up with rhymes for Luya. And he's got so many in there. And uh, and I'm always rewriting those verses. And I know, I think he wrote about 50 verses for that song. And I would have yeah. loved to have been a fly on the wall. Well, he, he was a great rhymer. Um, yeah. uh, and always really, really comfortable rhymes. Generally perfect, but not always perfect rhymes. Um, yeah, it would have been mm-hmm. really extraordinary just sitting around with Mr. Cohen. I love performing that song, especially busking. Everyone always connects to mm. that one. And I love um, Dance Me to the End of Love. It's probably my favorite of his. Yeah, his. gorgeous song, yeah. 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 No, that's 
really cool. There's a lot of them uh, that, that I would have liked. A lot of my friends got to write with John Prine a bunch, and I just never got around to that, and I, I regret that. Uh, he was such a lovely mm. cat, and uh, his songs had so much joy in them. <clears throat> so I'm glad for my mm. friends that, that did get to do that. I'm happy for them. And what is your next steps at the moment? What What are your plans coming out of, hopefully coming out of COVID and Christmas mm. and all that? You know, we're just kind of sitting, you know, fairly, fairly tight here and just kind of enjoying life. And I am at some point going to go back mm. to the States for a little bit. Um, to see my, uh, um, I've, I have three grown kids and some grandkids back there. I've, I'm really pining for, I'm going to go back and see everybody yeah. at some point. Um, and, uh, I've got a lot of songs up on the workbench right now that I really just need to polish off. They're just sitting there just waiting for me to come back around and, um, you know, get back mm-hmm. to uh, uh, recording this stuff. We also, um, I've rescued um, a live recording, a multi-track recording from 1994 at the Bluebird Cafe. It was recorded over three nights, oh. and uh, I just never released it. And there were, were a number of reasons for that. But I've just assumed that by now those tapes had, you know, um, you know, decomposed or something come apart. <clears throat> but before I left Texas, my uh, engineer, uh, producer uh, friend, David Abeta convinced me to go dig those out of storage. And sure enough, uh, yeah. we were able to, um, we were able to uh, capture all that stuff. And so it was, um, <clears throat> it's just fascinating to hear these recordings um and it was all those guys all the same people that i went on to form dead reckoning with and uh so anyway we're uh, mixing uh in the process of mixing that blast from the past the lost tapes you know and uh you know just mm-hmm. carrying on um uh, just you know trying to trying to learn to be better yeah that's all any of us want to try and do isn't it yeah all right well um i think we've we've got some great information is there anything else you would like to share before we finish up oh no but i you know thanks a lot for uh you know asking me to talk to you and uh um i look forward to hearing you and your songs one of these days as well and i want to come up to queensland once all the dust has settled well please do we're actually planning on some live songwriter trish shows which will be similar to a songwriter rounds nashville show um in january december january february so if you are around um, we'd Thank love to you have very you. much. Yeah, that'd Thank be a great. blast. Thanks for joining our songwriter Trist today. To join the family and keep up to date with future podcasts, you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Please leave a review and subscribe. To support the podcast or contact me or our guest, please go to the website songwritertrists.com. Crowd, no one can hear me. Wish I could.